Good evening, Australia, and hello to the rest of the world. Welcome to Under the Wire, your home for censored and suppressed information about vaccination and health. My name is Meryl Dory, and I'd like to welcome you to the program. Tonight, we have a very special guest. Uh, this gentleman has served in the armed forces. He's been a lieutenant colonel in the SAS for Australia. His name is Ricardo Balsi. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I should have confirmed that with him beforehand. And um, he is the head of the Australia One Party. And um, he ran in the last election, and I believe they will be standing candidates in the next election. He has some um, good views uh, that I think would be very interesting to hear. And without further ado, I would like to introduce Ricardo. I'm sorry, how do I pronounce your name? Because I may have said it wrong. <laughs> well, it depends in Italian. It's Ricardo Umberto Guineo Bosi, but it's oh. <laughs> for the Australians, it's Ricardo Bosi. That'll work out fine. <laughs> Well, I'm American, so I might just go somewhere in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fantastic. So um, first of all, thank you for your service. Um, it, it takes a, a lot of courage to uh, fight for a country, and um, I really appreciate it. I know that there's a lot of wonderful, <clears throat> pardon me, men and women out there who have been doing amazing work for Australia. Now, what in the world made you go from being in the military to deciding that you wanted to, uh, first of all, start a, a political party or become a politician, and then also become interested in an issue like vaccination, uh, which basically, you know, points you in the direction of uh, being uh, just ostracized by everyone in society. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you here? Yeah, sure. Uh, just one correction. Um, I was Lieutenant Colonel in Special Ops and SAS and the Commandos, they're two separate units and I served oh. in both. Okay. Uh, and uh, Captain in SAS, a Major in Commandos and then a Lieutenant Colonel in the headquarters where I ran over some, uh, did some work up there, capability development, future warfare, things like that. So pretty exciting stuff. So the, the transition from a, a special forces colonel to the leader of political party, but in fact, it's actually quite straightforward because as a soldier, what we tend to do is we stand between danger and the innocent. And that's what we do. As GK Chesterton said, you know, we fight not because we hate what's in front of us, but because what we love, we love what is behind us. And so to transition from a soldier, to uh, the leader of a party whose sole intention is to protect the people from tyrannical psychopaths is quite a logical uh, step. Now, having said that, uh, like most people, I just trusted those around me. I, I presumed that you know, our, our senior officers knew what they were doing, that they would look after our best efforts, that if we had to fight and die, we would do so, knowing that the right decisions were being made. And then, like everybody, I was asleep at the wheel, trusting the people around me, and bit by bit by bit, the truth began to reveal itself. And at first, again, like everybody else, uh, it was so outlandish and ridiculous, you just couldn't believe it. And then you do your research, you do your research, you go down one rabbit hole, come up for air, go down another rabbit hole, come up for air. And before you know it, um, you're, a, you're a lunatic conspiracy theorist with tinfoil hats on display. But we knew it wasn't there because we're smart enough. There's nothing 
you know, there's nothing in my background that makes me prone to flights of fancy. You know, when you're a soldier, you work off hard facts and that's all. Mm. And so the transition isn't that difficult. Our job as a political party, and we're unlike, and we can go into detail later if you want, but we're unlike any other political party because everything about us is to give power to the people, quite literally. Our party constitution empowers the people to make decisions, to select their candidates, to sack their candidates if they don't like them, to sack the executive within the party. See, most political parties are designed to get control and get the sheep to turn up and do your bidding. Well, we're the other way around. The people are the, uh, uh, run the show, and we just we are constructing this ark, let's say, for want of a better word. We know the storm's coming, flood's coming. So we're being this, uh, building this ark that will accommodate as many Australians as possible, and we can survive the flood. And then more importantly, and this is important, because everyone's talking about end the lockdown, end the lockdown. That's not how you fight a war. You fight a war by knowing what you're going to do once the war is done and win the peace. That requires a set of skills. Now, winning a war tends to be one set of skills. Winning the peace tends to be another. We have to be smarter than that. We have to win the war, but then also win the peace and make sure this never happens again. And that's key because nobody else has got a plan for what happens after this ends. And it will because we know it will because yeah. we're going to fight and we win that. It, it's an interesting point. Um, one thing about most military people that I've known, and I have quite a few military people in my family, is that strategy is the key. Um, it's not a matter of, and I'm not good at strategy at all, but it's, it's a matter of knowing where you're going and how to get there. This is your goal and these are the steps you're going to take. And, and it's good that you're talking about what to do after this all is over. I think the problem is a lot of people can't see a way through. They are stuck in this dystopian nightmare that our lives have become called Australia, and they can't really see a way out. So, I mean, do you, does your party have uh, strategies for how to actually get out of this situation? Sure, absolutely. Uh, there are a number of ways that other people have spoken about it, but the only, uh, and I'll give you the, the very short answer, the only guaranteed way of winning this in a peaceful manner in which we do it in a moral way, and this is key, this is absolutely key, a non-violent moral way, we have to win. And is that achievable? Absolutely. How do we do it? There's only one way. Build an army so large that when the word goes out to stand up, the entire country is brought to a standstill until we decide it starts again. See, uh, I have a saying that if, if, we, if we run a protest and a thousand turn up, then we have a problem. If 10,000 turn up, the police have a problem. If 100,000 turn up, the politicians have got a problem. If a million turn up, we win. Because there aren't enough police, there aren't enough jails to stop us. And it's literally that, that uh, non-violent, um, non non-cooperation that Gandhi implemented. Mm. Now, does that mean some people are getting at a blood nose? Absolutely. Wars are never won without casualties. I get that. But the numbers will be very small. And we have to be ready to stand up. Now, you don't invade, to use another analogy I use, you don't land on the beaches of Normandy with six people. That's just, you know, it's not going to work. No. You're going to build the army, build the army, build the army, build the army, and then when the army is ready to go, then you launch. But let me give your listeners just a, a small glimmer of hope. And this, is, uh, and this is just life. Just pick a moment a little bit into the future that's manageable and get to that point, for example, December. Just get to December. Don't worry about January next year. Just get to December because I things will change by then. Things will that. change by December. I, I know that and I believe it. So get yourselves through between now and December. Get yourself through. Now, what happens there, I can't tell you exactly, but at least you've got to December and then we can start planning for the for the new year and what happens after that. 
protect yourselves, protect your families, protect your kids, stock up on food. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. You never know what might happen. The shelves might run dry. And if you thought that the uh, the toilet paper shortage was embarrassing, wait until you got mum and dad elbowing each other for a, for a tin of baked beans. Mm. But just focus on December. Things will change by then. Um, and then we can move on from there. But no, we... The only way we can win this in a way that we want to win it is peaceful, non-violent, non-cooperation. And we can do that because the people of Australia are slowly waking up and they are beginning to understand that they have the power. They have the strength. The numbers are there. Um, we know that the uh, the politicians and, and it's everybody. And here's, here's the problem with Australia. It's not that... Australians are weak. In fact, the fact that we have been provoked over and over and over again over many years by the globalists uh, and we haven't responded in a violent way indicates that Australians are actually pretty laid back. We're slow to anger and that's a good quality to have. When we get cranky, though, we'll fight and we'll fight hard and we'll win. But I think it's a measure of our, our actual our decency as a people that we are not smashing police cars. We are not beating up on cops. We are just standing there and taking the hits. And the world is seeing that Australia is actually a decent country. And that's why it's such a great place to live. I mean, I've traveled the world and you're from the US. Mm. I've lived and worked in some miserable places and some great places. But I tell you what, like, there's only one place I'll call home and that's that's the great southern land because it is a very unique place. Yep, it's for sure it is. And, and I mean... I think the people of Australia are amazing, absolutely amazing, having lived in the United States, which I think is also incredible. But the people of Australia are incredibly amazing, but they really and truly, you're right, they are slow to anger. And I think that part of my frustration is that I want them to get angry because I want them to be motivated to stand up and do something because I'm angry. I'm angry enough for everybody. Okay. But um, you, you, um, you made a statement. I mean, through your experience in the past, you have seen the worst of government's lack of caring, um, lack of responsibility towards people. And you were talking about how you know, it, it's a lot of people say, uh, I can't see that the government would do something that would harm or kill us. And yet you have had correspondence with people who were in the military and were involuntarily involved in studies that have harmed and killed many of them, not just the anthrax vaccine, but studies on anti-malarials that were done. Um, do you believe that the government, as it stands right now, cares one little bit about the health or the well-being of the Australian people? And when I say the government, I mean the Morrison government. Uh, I mean Daniel Andrews. I mean uh, Gladys Berejiklian and uh, Palachuk in Queensland. Do they care? Uh, is this for only for our own good? Is this for our health? What's happening now? No, this is they 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 couldn't care less about us, uh, not at all. Uh, if this was about our, our well-being and safety, um, the sick would have been isolated and treated. The healthy would have been free to go about their own business because we you know the the the, um, the recovery rate is ninety nine point nine recurring percent, whatever the hell it is. It makes no difference. We know that. And the fact that and let me just run a few things just so. Not, a, not all your listeners may be aware of it. I just want to run through just very quickly a laundry list of nonsense that indicates that this is not about our health. And we'll talk about after this, we'll talk about why why the government is doing this, why it's supported by the bureaucracy 
the constabulary, the judiciary, the military, you name it. So here's just a couple of things. And um, I've got a couple of letters here which I'm happy to send to you because you've done it. But again, it's always good to see more evidence of the same. And these are two requests for FRY. And specifically, the first one was to the TGA, the Therapeutic Drugs Administration. That's the Therapeutic Goods Administration. Yeah. It was a request for scientific factual evidence of a testing procedure being used in Australia that 100% identifies COVID-19 in a living human beyond any reasonable doubt, i.e., is the PCR test effective? The answer, no documentation to that effect exists. So they're claiming that they're using... And now, we all know, <laughs> we know the PCR test was never designed for this, and the inventor of the PCR test, Casey Mullis, said it wasn't designed. Now, we know that. But there's the TGA saying there is no evidence that the test that they are using actually 100% identifies the COVID-19 in any living human being beyond any reasonable doubt. So that's number one. The second one is a letter from the Department of Health, and they specifically said we want a do they want a documentation proving the isolation of the COVID-2 Delta variant confirmed by a purified viral sample being imaged with an electron microscope and a controlled scientific experiment on human or animals where an isolated COVID-2 Delta strain has been exposed to health, healthy humans or animals and showed to cause the disease. The answer, they searched and consulted within the department and the Therapeutic Goods Administration and other departments, and nobody holds any documents that can answer that question. So the entire basis, the entire basis is a lie, and they, we have their own words to prove it. So Morrison and Hunt and, and, the, and the state premiers, there is no basis in fact to what they're doing. So what they're doing then is destroying us. Now, why would they do that? Why would they want to destroy us? See, it makes no sense. Why would the government? The government wouldn't do that. Now, this indicates good-hearted people. But thankfully, I've lived and worked in worlds which are not good-hearted, not nice. They're very unpleasant places. Now, let me jump to the punchline rather than take you through the slow, um, the slow journey. This book... Let me see if I can get that in shot. Whoa, up, the left. New international and... Economic Order, Implications for Australia. I can see that. That's a government document? Right. right. This document, let me get it out of the plastic bag. I've got to keep it protected in case it gets lost. But this document is a report from the Senate Standing Committee on Foreign Affairs and Defence. Yep. You can see it down there. Yes. Now, let me read. Now, this is uh, February 1980. In February 1980, the new international economic order was discussed by a Senate Standing Committee in Australia, and they provided the uh, the result. Now, the key lines, and it's, it's, a, it's a key document, but I'll give you this. I'll have to read this. Excuse me while I read this, because I've got to get it right. No worries. Uh, Australia, and this is part of their summary. Uh, Australia has now become an active participant in the in a new international economic order. The views and awareness of the Australian public, this inquiry made it obvious that there is limited knowledge of the new international economic order issues throughout the community. The public perception of what the new international economic order means generally, and to Australia specifically, should be promoted not only by the government and its instrumentalities, but by the media, unions, organisations, academic bodies and informed individuals. That's why nobody's doing anything about it. That's why we are we cannot find the truth about anything because the media is, is in on this. This has been since 1980. So what that means is since 1980, for how many decades is that? Four decades? Mm. Four decades. Every parliamentarian, every prime minister, every leader of the opposition, every member of the lower house and every senator has been complicit in the wholesale 
preparation for the destruction of Australia. That's why it's evidence that they don't care about us. This is intended to destroy the country and it's been part of the plan. So we, you know, you've heard about the Club of Rome and, and uh, Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030 and all that sort of stuff. And that, it sounds distant, but this is an Australian government document from 1980 suggesting that we have to dismantle our entire country and hand over our sovereignty and our wealth to somebody else. What is the end game? Why would they, why would they sign up to something like that? The globe, the final, the final uh, depopulation of the planet, control of the planet. Every square inch of this planet is owned by somebody else, not us. We think that we have some sort of rights in Australia. We don't. The politicians, to a man and woman, they have no particular skill sets. You know, Scott Morrison, he couldn't find a beer in a brewery. I mean, the guy is not trained to be the prime minister. Um, our treasurer, Josh Frydenberg couldn't run a lemonade stand in front of his house and make a profit, and yet he's running a trillion-dollar economy. They're only selected, in my opinion, because they are pliable. They will do what they are told to do by somebody else who runs the show. And their idea is to depopulate us through multiple means. And again, just do your research, folks. You don't have to believe me. I tell everybody, don't believe me. Do your own research. But um, do your own research and find out that their job is to depopulate Australia and take control of it. They want to get rid of the useless eaters, as they call us. It's 2030. You own nothing and you've never been happier. Uh, this is the World Economic Forum statement. So so how can That's government it. stop this? How can going into government stop the steamroller that's been heading down for the last 40 years, actually a lot longer than that? Um, if you read back to the, the 1930s and earlier, you see that these sorts of steps were in place yeah. for a long time. H how can you and other parties going into Parliament at this point in time change things for the better? Well, the first step is it, uh, it's not us. It's up to the people. All we can do and all we are doing, and, and while I'm speaking, let me just find something that I, I can read to you so you, it'll be a very direct answer to your question. But it's up to the people. It's not up to us. You know, we cannot save Australia. The Australian people have to stray, uh, save Australia, and that's why we, we spend our time um, getting out there and making sure that people, the people actually take control and understand that they are in charge. It is their sovereignty that counts. Now, that's step number one. That's how they do it. Let me just, I just need to find this for you, please, because no it, it's time. a direct answer to your question. Our intention, how can a political party do it? They can't. Standard political parties are over. We are quite unique, as I said before. Now, you, you mentioned strategy before. Here's how we do it. Our, an intention comprises three parts in the military. Purpose, method, end state. Purpose, what you're going to do. Method, how you're going to do it. End state, what the world looks like when you're finished. So if you ask most politicians, I'll say, what's your job? And as you quite rightly said, to get elected. Well, no. And people actually say to me, don't you want votes? Because we behave very differently. I said, no, I don't want votes. I want to save the country. One is an end and one is a means to an end. And so we're not interested in the means to the end. We're interested in the, the end. And the end is to make sure that people get it. But here's our intention. Our purpose is to save Australia. Straight, straightforward. The end state comes next. What are we aiming for? We want Australia to be a moral, sovereign, self-reliant Christian Western democracy, which is economically powerful, militarily intimidating, politically free, culturally vibrant and socially cohesive. And this is just a checklist. This isn't a marketing document. This is an actual checklist of what we need to create. Because if we can create that end state, this will never happen to Australia again. Now, here's the key. 
and answers your question, how are we going to do it? We are to create a moral political party. And by moral, I mean knows right and wrong. Very straightforward. Create a moral political party that empowers Australians to reach their highest individual potential so that collectively all can participate in the reformation of Australia. I've got to read that again because it is so important. This, this is the, the filter through which we look at everything that we do. We have to create a moral political party that empowers Australians to reach their highest individual potential so that collectively all can participate in the reformation of Australia. And that's what we have to do because we have got to this point after decades and decades of degradation and undermining. And we can go into detail if you wish. I'm sure you're aware of the detail of that. So it's going to take us time to get through it again. So in a hard practical sense, how do we make sure this never happens again? Well, let me give you an example. Something you're familiar with in the US is recall elections. Mm. In Australia, we're stuck with some imbecile that we elected on election day and three years later, after they do nothing, they say, vote for me again. <laughs> nothing. Well, no, we're going to make sure the people have the power. So we'll, when we get into power, and we will, and when we become the government, and we will, we'll amend, this is just one of the practical steps that we take, we'll amend the Electoral Act to introduce recall elections. So at any point during the electoral cycle, if the, the electors are dissatisfied with their MP, they can sack them on the spot. If, if sufficient electors are, are dissatisfied, they can be sacked. Now, all of a sudden, what does this do in a real practical sense? Forget highfalutin words. What it means is that that, elect, that that representative is now responsive to the people 24-7, 365. Because the day after he or she is elected, if they start going back on their promises, they're sacked and the people get it. And every time I do my talks around the country, and we've done, you know, most of the country, I haven't got the WA, unfortunately. And I say to them, how would you like to sack Dan Andrews? And the, the cheer that goes through the audience, how would you like to sack Gladys? The cheer goes through the audience. And there's a real hard practical sense of how we can actually win the peace as well as win the war. Because when the people realise they are in charge, they are sovereign, they are the kings and queens of Australia, mm. and the pollies have to do what they say, and when they, they start to warm up to this idea, and they're starting to, this is going to be a tough place to govern. And as you know from your American history, the U.S. Founding Fathers intentionally made it hard to control the U.S. Things moved slowly because passions might rise, but reason has to overcome that. Mm. Uh, they made it tough. So you've got you've got uh, the elections of the Senate and the elections of the of the, the Congress, and, and they're sort of out of sync and they don't quite flow. It's intentionally done to make it hard. And we understand that. Human nature has the capacity to be wonderful, but it also has the capacity to be anything but. So we have to build a process where... And it's built into the system. It is hard to get a hold of Australia. Look at Australia now. We've got six states. We've got one federal government, and they're just doing whatever the hell they want. So yeah. one of the next one of the things that we want to do is have more states. Why have more states? Because it's harder to control more states. Yeah. And they're stuck. They, it, it'll just be hard for tyrants, and it gives us time then to identify the tyrant, get rid of them, and move on. And, and so, yeah, we can do that. too. You have more Bingo. representation with, with more states. I mean, the, the Declaration of Independence in the United States, the document that formed the country, specifically stated that when a government no longer represents the will of the people, then it is up to the people to get rid of that government and form another one. And to think that, you know, 260 years ago or whatever it was that they had the foresight to do that and to bring in a Bill of Rights at a time when such a thing was never even heard of. I know it didn't happen straight away. It happened within the first few decades. But, um, you know, to, to think that that those sorts of things were done back then and Australia still does not have a Bill of Rights or a Statement of Rights and we have a 
parliament that passes legislation uh, on a Sunday night without any correspondence, without any input from the people that affects our lives. Uh, and I'm talking about the legislation that was just passed last weekend, uh, which basically allows the government to spy on individuals without any warrant, without any prior cause, probable cause, and to actually go into our emails, our text messages, and our social media posts, and to change the wording, the whatever they, or even to write things that we never wrote. What is the purpose of that? They're saying it's to stop terrorism, but this could not just be limited to terrorists, and people who question vaccination are considered terrorists by the government. So what is the real purpose of legislation like this? In my opinion, it's to fabricate crime. See, what they've done is they've weaponized the security agencies, ASIO, ASUS, the police forces, in my opinion. They've weaponized them against political opponents because they want control. This is nothing but the, the grossest abuse of power. This is the fabrication of crime. You know, if that's it. That's why they're doing it. And this, there is no necessity for it because they can get as much as they want. They really can already. They, they have means by which they can record and, and track anybody they want to. But isn't that funny? They want to stop bullying because bullying is nasty. Really? Okay. They can't find pedophile judges who are so corrupted and compromised that they hand over whatever legislation is required by the people funding their, you know, this political operation. They can't find drugs. They can't find drug lords. They can't find the billions of dollars. No, they can't find any of that. But they have to terrorize individuals who might say, I think the minister, the prime minister is a complete goose. And I wonder why uh, our current minister for defense, and let me get it out there again, the previous Homeland Security Minister, and I think he's the Liberal Party's great white hype. They're trying to get Dutton in as the top job. So um, Morrison will do his bit and then they'll get Dutton in there. How is it that Dutton bought a house for $2 million and not long later sold it for five? Now, I'm sure there's nothing suspicious about that at all. Nothing. Peter, nothing suspicious. But when Peter was heading Homeland Security, Peter, you couldn't find any pedophiles, could you? You couldn't find corrupted judges or corrupted. And guess what? They passed legislation to make sure they could they could interrogate your 14-year-old child without your permission, interfere with your right to legal representation, but they can't find any crooks. And Peter, the great white hype one, what time? Just so you know, the people behind this nonsense legislation, what was the, his other major contribution? That's right. He used to whine about the fact that the, uh, the Administrative Affairs Tribunal would reverse his judgments on whether... Uh, suitable people who are appealing extradition or sorry deportation should stay in the country and he complained that the uh, AAT uh, overturned his decisions and so drugs uh, pedophiles and all sorts of miscreants were allowed to stay in the country well what he didn't tell people was he has the power to ignore the administrative affairs tribunal and so he sort of did this kabuki theater smoke and mirrors game pretending he's the hero of the average australian while the whole time knowing he could have thrown out the, the, the druggies and the pedophiles. But, oh, no, he didn't do that. He just pretended. He pretended that um, uh, he was stuck with this terrible thing called the AAT. So these are, and the reason I speak about the individuals, because there's no point talking about the government. It's the sin of the false collective. It's not the government done this and the government done that or the Liberal Party did this. No, it's names. It's Scott Morrison. It's Peter Dutton. It's Josh Frydenberg. It's Greg Hunt. It's Gladys Berestiklian. These are individuals and these are the people. Now, 
why do you why do we pick on them because we know they have no real power they're just the puppets and the puppet masters pull the string and the analogy i gave somebody the other day is you know why do you have to attack them because you know they're not powerful i know that but imagine you're in a trench and the enemy army is chasing at you do you stop and try to shoot the general that's 42 kilometers behind him or do you shoot the guy in front that's why we have to take these guys out one at a time but by name stop talking about the government yeah. talk about scott morrison's failure talk about peter dutton's failures gladys gladys beris Chiklian's failures you know it's lie after lie after lie hammer them till their eyes pop squeeze them because these are loathsome squibs spineless jellyfish who have no nothing to recommend them as people and these are the people that write the legislation that are designed to create fabricate crime so they can come and lock us up and and all of this i mean the commonwealth constitution it, what they're doing is absolutely unconstitutional but without the high court hearing the cases and can we even trust that the high court is not as corrupt as the government is um, it becomes really difficult for us to find an outlet where we can find justice um, there is another piece of legislation the defense legislation amendment bill which basically says that foreign troops can serve on australian soil and that they will not be held financially or legally um, accountable should they commit any crimes while they're here. Uh, I mean, that sort of indemnification is used to only be reserved for pharmaceutical companies. Now we're doing it for, uh, <laughs> for, for troops as well. Why do we need foreign troops on Australian soil? Can our police forces and, and other you know, forces that are here that are supposed to uphold the law, are they incapable of doing that? What is the purpose? No, we don't need them at all. We we don't we don't need foreign troops and we don't need um, foreign police. This is a a setup so they can bring in whomever they wish to lock down the country. It's 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 patently clear. Now let me give you a bit of technical detail. This may sound very dry, but you gotta understand the context in which this ridiculous legislation was passed because it was completely unnecessary. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, Craig Kelly, then a member of the government not the, the parliament rather, and a member of the Liberal Party, actually went on, it was interviewed by Monica Smith, and uh, and she asked the question, you know, is this okay? And he, and he said, yeah, no problem, there's nothing to see here, it's all okay. It's all okay, it's all, and now that video has disappeared, but let me give you the background to what goes on. They are now authorising, as you said, foreign police and foreign troops to come into Australia in case of emergency and act with immunity. Now, there's two ways that we have soldiers on the street, just so you're clear, in Australia. The average Australian digger, soldier, me, even when I was a special ops colonel, I couldn't just tool up and wander down to Maccas with a, with a nine mil on my hip. No more than you could. It's, it's illegal. And that's the way it should be because soldiers are a last resort to deliver lethal force. We're not there to keep the peace. We're there to kill people. That's our job. End of story. Coppers keep the peace. We don't. So we're not authorised to wander around uh, with weapons. Now, the authority to deploy the military is in the hands of the Governor-General as the Commander-in-Chief. So there's two ways that the military can assist the governments, federal and state, and it's this way. The first one is defense force aid to the civil community, which is bushfire, flood, drought, that's sort of an event, yep. right? Natural disaster, uh, nobody has a problem with that. The state premier goes to the prime minister, says, look, we need, we need uh, soldiers to deliver hay and water and food, and we need trucks to cart things around. And so the, the Prime Minister then goes to the Governor General, the Governor General and Council authorizes the Chief of the Defense Force to deploy troops 
uh, in a limited period and limited area in order to assist with that. So nobody has a problem with that. They're not armed. They just they're just bodies that do stuff. Now they are covered with immunity. In, you know, if, if in good faith, for example, they see a they take an action which causes somebody some distress down the track. Let's say there's a paddock full of uh, sheep and the fire is racing through and the sheep are trapped and they cut the wire and the sheep run away and the farmer loses some of the sheep. He doesn't get them back. Now, of course, they shouldn't be held liable for that because in, in, the, in the heat of the moment, they need to take an action. That's what the, in, uh, the immunity covers them for. And nobody has a problem with that. So that's defence force aid to the civil community. The other time is defence force aid to the civil power. Now we're talking about a siege hostage situation where the delivery of lethal force may be required. Very sensitive, very important that the constraints are tight. So what happens is this. Same situation, except we've got a, uh, a siege hostage situation, Lind Cafe, Martin Place, for example. Yeah. It is a police responsibility. The army has no authority, not even to pre-deploy to within the area. They're not allowed to move. That's how tightly, well, it used to be constrained, and we made sure it was constrained because the use of military in Australia is a very delicate issue. And so it's a police issue. Now, the only time the military get involved is when the police forward commander speaks to the police operational commander and says, you know what, we can't handle this. This is beyond our technical capability because there are levels of difficulty when we're talking about siege hostage situation. One terrorist in a room, multiple terrorists, multi-story stronghold. It's just more difficult. An aircraft, whatever. So in that situation, the police operations commander then speaks to the commission. The commissioner speaks to the, the, the premier and the premier says, OK, what do you need? He says, we need the military. Goes to the Prime Minister, same process, goes to the Governor-General. Governor-General authorises the Chief of the Defence Force to deploy a force, the Tactical Assault Group, but it is constrained both in time and geography. You know, you are authorised to deploy with weapons to an area, but it, once the siege is over or on my command, it's done. You can no longer be armed. And secondly, it's, time, it's constrained by geography. Very straightforward, makes a lot of sense, and we were very tight and we were careful to make sure the polys didn't get too excited about waving that stick. What they've done now is they've said, no, that doesn't matter. Let's just bring everybody in as we need and under the, the cover of emergency. Foreign troops and foreign police can come in and do it. Absolutely no requirement. There is zero requirement for that. If a foreign troop is on exchange with us and they're part of a team and they want to keep the team together during an assault, let's say he's on, the, he's on exchange with a counterterrorism team and we've got a Marine who's working with the SAS, we have a status of forces agreement, which we've established for that individual and say you are authorized to do whatever you need to do. So there's no need for it. So this is obviously an attempt by the government to, to bring in heavy handed people from anywhere in the world to lock us down. Is it and so they are trying to normalize military. Do you think it, it might be because they know that in a situation where the government is asking the military to attack Australian people, they are afraid that Australian military will mutiny and will not do it, whereas foreign troops might not have that same constraint. I'm just putting it out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course they are. That's why they're doing it. And they're killing their own military and police anyway. It's, it's the same with any totalitarian organisation. They'll get, and it's in history. If you, if you know history, you, none of this is surprising. It's like the SA and the SS in, in, in Germany. The SA were bigger than the army. And the army got a bit concerned about that and said, look, you take out the SA and we'll give you the SS. And so Hitler whacked his entire SA that got him to power. And they're doing the same with the Australian police and Australian military. Go out there and crack some scones and, uh, and, and put them down. But then they're now forcing the police to get the jab. They're forcing the military to get the jab. That will kill, disable the defence force. A gap will be created and they'll bring in outsiders that have no love for 
nor respect for Australian people. So, of course, in my opinion, that's exactly what they're doing, and they want thugs to come in. And I've lived and worked with military troops overseas, and I can tell you, with the exception of the Anglophone countries, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Britain, and a few others, most militaries are just rapists, murderers, and thugs. Look at the United Nations and, and the treatment of the locals whenever the UN goes in. And I've had experience overseas, and I can tell you a couple of stories about police and military that would guarantee you wouldn't want these people anywhere near you with a rifle because they will just shoot you for the sheer fun of it. And they will rape the women. Mm. Papua New Guinea, I was up there just very briefly. Let me tell the story. I was in PNG as the senior instructor infantry wing at the Goldie River Training Depot some years back. And we ran uh, promotion courses and pre-deployment pre courses for their operations. But we had one company that came back from Bougainville and they spent the entire raping and killing nurses. That's all they did. The police uh, were as corrupt as you can imagine. I was driving, I was escorting a, a woman and a son home from a, uh, during a curfew once from the, the local theatre because they were doing a kid's show. A uh, police van pulled up, eight, eight police, PNG uh, constabulary people got out, blew overalls, their mouths were red, they've been chewing buoy, which is a, uh, a betel nut, it's a plant, you chew it with lime and it gives you a bit of a high like marijuana, I guess that's what they suggest. Anyway, these guys started clambering all over her car. So I got out of mine and I persuaded them to get back into their van and leave, which they did, but they were just going to rape and leave by the side of the road. This is foreign military and police, folks. Yeah. And you're, you're exactly right. I think what they're trying to do is they will get the Australian military to do as much as they can, but when the Australian military backs up, then they'll just, they're going to be dead anyway. And now just so you're aware, though, there are no white hats. I get asked this question a lot. Are there any white hats in the Australian military? And the answer is no. At the upper levels, everybody... And whether they're just cowards or whether they're corrupt or whether they've, they've taken an oath to a secret society like the Masons where they have to do what they're told regardless of the, the legality of the law, I don't know and I don't much care. But there are no white hats in the Australian military. Don't look for them. I, I mean, I've, I've been searching for evidence that these people are what they pretend to be. I don't think they are. And I don't think the senior military are, the senior police are either. Well, they are just uh, wholly sold out, can you in my opinion. A, yeah, I understand, and I, it's been my impression too. But the rank and file, the, the policemen who are connected to their community, the uh, soldiers who joined up for the right reasons and are here, can you see that if they are ordered, they are given orders that are absolutely abhorrent to them uh, to shoot on, like like shooting rubber bullets, but might as well have been live rounds, um, shooting people in protests who are not posing a threat to anyone or attacking citizens. Can you see a time where they will, as a group, say no and join us? I hope so. I hope so. They are required by law. This is the military. They are required by law to disobey an unlawful command. Like the Nuremberg defense of I was only doing my duty, that doesn't wash with anybody. It just does not wash. And so I've, I've been warning the police and the military, best you, best you find out what's going on, because if you do what you're told and you do something unlawful, you will hang. And I can tell you, our first, our first category of policies has to do with national sovereignty. And we're going to reintroduce treason and sedition. We're going to tighten up the definitions. We'll be going to be hanging people. Now, that sounds terribly rude and aggressive, 
But I can promise you this, when the Australian people find out the depth of the depravity that, that we've been thrown into, I mean, the really bad stuff that I won't even talk about online, that our politicians and judges and police have been doing, I'll look like a bloody moderate. They will be baying for blood. And I don't mean that metaphorically. And so the, the uh, Australian military, the younger, younger ones, they just sort of follow orders. But I've been warning them, watch out, kids, you're in trouble. And there will be no deals done. The police are starting to understand that they're between a rock and a hard place. Now, they too, like the military, if you're given an order in a high-pressure situation, you must react, and that just makes sense. And if mistakes are made, it's an anonymous mistake. I get it. It's regrettable, but that's life. But when you have time to examine what you're being told to do, yeah. and if you still do it, then you are culpable. And I've been warning the police and the military, not the seniors, the senior, I don't care about them. They've sold out, in my opinion. I'm, you know, As I said, they're either corrupt, stupid, or... Um, or, uh, or signed up to some secret society. I don't care about them, but I certainly do care about the diggers. But what they're doing is they are breaking a trust between the Australian people and the Australian Defence Force, the Australian people and the police forces. And that trust will take a long time to repair. Mm. Um, they have no idea what they're doing. So, yeah, the, the younger ones might snap out of it. They might say, and by younger, I don't mean the kids, because the kids just follow orders. They're well trained. And they trust their seniors, like I did, to give them lawful commands. But as you said earlier, there's enough evidence where commanding officers of battalions will risk the health of their soldiers and then abandon them mm. when they, you know, with 100 out of the 600 come down with life-altering side effects and psychosis. And, 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 uh, and it's not post-traumatic stress disorder. This is drug-induced illness, and the COs, the commanding officers, don't care. They take their promotion and move on and reflect on the gloriousness of their career while they leave this trail of destruction behind them. So there's no evidence that either the, the politicians or the generals, anybody cares about us, the police commissioners, they don't. New South Wales Police Commissioner has got something, has had two pay rises in the last few years, just under a pay rise of just under 200K. Now, nothing's for nothing. So what the hell is this guy getting paid for? Think about it. And the chief health officers are making a shocking amount of money too. And, you know, it's to me, it's so foreign to think that, as a human being, you can have that much disregard for your fellow human beings. I mean, not everybody's a great person. Not everybody is kind and caring. But to actually be involved in, well, when I look at the COVID and what's happening with this shot, it's genocide. It is absolute genocide. And to think that people who might go to church on Sunday and might love their children and love their family can be involved in doing this is just foreign. But I think this is what we're seeing. We're seeing uh, gross immorality and amorality uh, in our in our community. And it's from the top down, right, from the, this, from the Scott Morrisons and the Greg Hunts to the judges on the high court to all of these other people in society, the police commissioners, to everybody else. And I would love to be proved wrong. I would love to see just one of them stand up and say, hang on a second, we need to take another look at this. We might be causing more harm than good. But uh, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Yeah. I got word just recently that there is somebody in a very senior position, I won't go any further than that, who is actually worried. But they're not worried for any moral reasons, they're saying, oh, it's going a bit further than I thought. So they knew exactly what's going on and why, but it's just going a bit further than they thought. So you don't get the top job unless you're bent, in my opinion. You don't get the top job. The last thing they want is a strong, independently 
minded individual running something. They want somebody that they can control. That's why you don't get the top job unless you know they've got some dirt on you, or you're compromised in some other way, or you're just such a sociopath. You will do whatever you need to do to get that next job. And that's what these people are. And most people aren't sociopaths. Most people, and I've, I've had to live and work with sociopaths, and they're extraordinary people to work with because you're just looking at their eyes. You're trying to see some glimmer of humanity. But it's like a colorblind person trying to see red. They can't do it. It's just not there. Cognitive behavioral therapy is not going to fix them. They are broken. And they just look at you and shrug and say, why are you getting so upset about this? They're just people. Who, who gives it? What, are they, what, are you, what are they to you? Why do you care? And then you come back and you said it. It's an issue of morality. What's right and what's wrong? And and unless unless you have a basis for that morality, all you have is opinion. Yeah. An opinion does opinion is not the basis for anything at all. You've got to have some sort of anchor point, which this is right and that is wrong, and you've got to stick by. But they don't put that up there. And so what you know, and as you know, you get the people up there who will implement these laws, but then you get the amoral people to create the laws. And from a national perspective, where does our national morality come from? Only one or two places. Either you have a strong religious foundation, and we have one in Australia. It's the Christian ethic. We've got it. Now, whether you're a Christian or not, it's not the point. The Christian ethic is the basis of Australian morality. Now, at the other end of it, you've got government passing laws. Now, over time, whatever laws get passed create the national morality. For example, we have the most egregious full-term abortion laws in this country. You can kill a baby at the point of birth by sucking out their living brain while still inside the womb and then sell the body parts. Now, this is legal in Tasmania, Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia is going to be the WA. I mean, if you have to explain to somebody that killing a baby at the point of birth isn't uh, infanticide, isn't murder, that it's a woman's health care, if you have to explain it to them, that level of imbecility is not worth wasting your time with. And that's where we are in Australia. So over time, people believe, well, if it's legal, it must be good. Mm. And so one of the one of the issues, and, and, and as I read out our end state, the first part of the end state, and the, it's always in priority order, the first one is the most important. We have to create a moral country, right and wrong. We have to know right and wrong all over again and not just throw away our inheritance of thousands of years of struggle from, from the swamp to where we are now. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. We've been convinced that the West is is, is, is is a terrible thing and we should open ourselves up to every other ideology out there. And all we're doing is, and, and this is, again, we won't go into depth now, but this is part of their play. This is how they've done it. They've undermined a couple of generations of kids that don't know right from wrong. And it's amazing that there is that dichotomy, that, that hypocrisy that you see, like you're talking about the... Um, abortions that are performed at birth. There are actually talks about making post post-birth abortions legal as well, up to three months per, past birth. And oh, and forget that. Forget three. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Forget three months. They were talking about this years ago, and what they what their their post-birth abortion number is two years. How do I know that? Because wow. there's a gentleman called Peter Singer. Now this is this is over 10, 15 years ago, I think. He's a bioethicist. <laughs> Yeah, he's allegedly a bioethicist, which is you know, what the left call murderers. Anyway, Peter Singer is an animal rights activist, and he says that people should not be granted or babies should not be granted humanhood until they're two years of age because they're not fully formed yet. Okay. Now, this, this guy needs a bullet in the brain. That's about as far as I want to deal with this, this imbecile, right? That's not a threat. That's just... That would be an advancement of mankind. But this guy says that people, babies should not be granted humanhood until two years of age. 
which means you can do anything you want with them. They're born. You can have sex with them. You can cut them up for spare parts. You can sell them. Now, this Peter Singer was given an Australian award by Julia Gillard, our former prime minister. Now, what does that tell you about the level of imbecility, of amoral imbecility that we have in our parliament? Yeah. Now, Gillard is one of uh, a member of Emily's List. Emily's List is a female-only faction of the Labor Party. Penny Wong, Tanya Plibersek are the current stars of that little outfit. And their goal is to establish full-term abortion nationwide, on demand, publicly funded. And they've already got five of the six states and the territories are coming soon. So this, this is years and years in the making. They're the same people who claim that my body, my choice is paramount for abortion, but my body, my choice for vaccination, for chemotherapy, for anything else. No, that's that's just being selfish. And uh, don't look for consistency. Never no. look for consistency. It's a lie. <laughs> they lie faster than we can catch them out. It's very true. So with the vaccination issue, and I don't want to call it a vaccine because the COVID jab is nothing like a vaccine, um, but with this issue of the COVID jab, um, I, I have heard, now I haven't heard you say it yourself, but I have had a couple of people tell me that at some point in the past, you had said that there was another vaccine that could be used for COVID, but it wasn't being used, it was being suppressed because the government wanted to sell Pfizer and AstraZeneca. Have I got that wrong? Did, did you believe no. that there were? No. So can you tell me a yeah, little yeah, bit no. about that? Sure. We, we were contacted. And just so you're clear, I'm not a fan on vaccines. I'm a, I'm a fan of wellness, not illness, if yeah. you get my drift. So this isn't some subtle, don't make the allegation, not you, but the listeners that I'm sort of some spiv for the big pharma. I want to put big pharma out of business, and we can talk about that later if you wish. But we were contracted, contacted. Uh, by someone who knew of a Dr. Petrovsky in Adelaide who'd been working on the SARS uh, virus for the previous uh, outbreaks and they'd done some uh, advanced work on it. And so when the COVID was announced, they came up with the vaccine very, very quickly, not because there was a lie, but they just built on the previous work. Now, this was peer rated, apparently. The peer rating system is a top score of seven. This guy got a seven out of seven peer review rating on the, the efficacy and safety of this vaccine. Now, I, I don't know that. For fact, I'm not promoting it, but I'm just saying that was available. It was Australian. It was it was well done. Uh, that was suppressed. It wasn't given any support or funding by the Morrison government. To the contrary, one of the Queensland universities that had a vaccine who had never produced a successful vaccine, the, the peer rating was only three out of seven. They got the millions of dollars in funding. Now, what I said was something stinks now. I'm doing an old Trumpism here. I don't want to say something that's going to be slanderous or whatever. You get my drift. But something stinks when a 7 out of 7 vaccine gets suppressed and a 3 out of 7 from an organization that's never produced one and you've got to produce something successful before you get the big funding, they got the millions of dollars. And then they had to shut it down because guess what? It contained AIDS apparently. Yep, HIV. It was contaminated. There you go. Yeah. And so, so, well, so I mean, once again, if it's about health... That's right. Well, if it was about health, they would not be suppressing early treatment either with things like vitamin D, quercetin, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. All of these things would be shouted from the rooftops. People would be told by the government, do exercise, eat healthy. You know, don't worry if you're young and healthy about you know being why infected. They had to shut down. Why is that? You know why they had to shut down those options? Because if there is a treatment for a disease that you can't claim an emergency, which then authorizes an experimental mRNA uh, 
injection, for example. So there has to be no treatment so they can claim an emergency which allows them to use experimental drugs or pro uh, processes. There was. We know there was. I've imagined it. You just rattled them all off. In fact, India, let me just get the data right. Just hang off a bit, tick. Sure. India is currently issuing uh, home kits, COVID home kits. Where is it? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, that's right. It's comprised of zinc, ivermectin, deoxycycline, and it costs two dollars sixty-five a packet. <laughs> and the areas that use that have very few deaths. Very few deaths compared with the areas that have taken the jab. Um, and you know, it's it is interesting that uh, that we have this situation where the government is in charge because of the emergency declaration and those emergency declarations were made under the biosecurity act 2015 and it looks like the government is trying right now to close a loophole that was left in the biosecurity act which is and they've ignored it the whole time anyway they've acted as if it didn't exist but under the biosecurity act you are not allowed to order somebody to wear a mask or to take a test unless they have an order written by a biosecurity officer with their name on it. So you cannot Correct. say everybody in this um, in this aged care facility, everybody in this hospital must, must wear masks. You're not allowed to do that. But now, just this last week, the federal government is looking at changing that and saying that you can actually tell an entire class of people or a group of people that they need to either mask or get tested or get vaccinated. and. Uh, you know, I, I want to let everybody know that this is happening so that they can contact their members of parliament and tell them that if they vote in favor of this, they need to get permission to cross party lines. First of all, they need to represent the people on this, but they will. It's it, not a loophole. No, it isn't. Sorry, it isn't. it's, it's not law. a loophole because what they've been saying was illegal. Yes. They've been saying illegal. We, we said this ages ago, as you quite rightly said, in order for them to, to force a treatment on you, you must, it must be on an individual. There must be evidence of an illness. It must be presented to a judge in a court of law, and the judge can then order a, uh, a control order on an individual only. Now, we said, we raised this some time ago, and so everything the government's been doing for months has been unlawful. Yeah. But again, they don't care. They don't care. And now they're doing exactly as you say, and your advice is correct. Write to your MP and say, if you sign this, you're for the high jump. You are for the high. You just don't give them an option. You work for us. You vote against this. Because if this goes through, our lives are over. Okay. And I can tell you, we will survive this, but the politicians will not. And, and we're coming after every them. last one. <laughs> I will not be crying tears for them because, honestly, uh, they have... Uh, you know, done terrible things to this country. So, you know, I've been speaking with quite a few politicians from what other people call the minor parties, what I call the representative parties. Um, I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about Australia One and about why you think that people should be... So many people come and say, I'll be throwing my vote away if I vote for one of these minor parties. Um, I, I, you know, at least I know that this person who's liberal, labor, greens, I know them, they live in my community. Um, I don't really like what they're doing, but they're better than, than the devil I don't know. And, and I know that if I vote for, you know, someone like IMAP or Australia One or one of these other parties, I'm throwing my vote away. What do you say to put that person's mind at ease and to say, 
you need to really think about your vote. Oh, well, okay. If you vote Liberal, Labor, Nationals and Green, you are voting for parties who are for decades protected pedophiles with the uh, the, the, uh, the 90 year suppression order that, the, that, the, uh, that was in place under the Liberal government, John Howard. So there are a list of 28 names of VIP pedophiles, including one former prime minister that apparently the politicians don't think you need to know about. So you have a choice. Now, don't trust anybody. I tell people ask me all the time, why should I trust you? I say, don't. Do your own research and on the balance of probabilities, make a vote. Now, if you think this is serious enough, then persuade your friends. And that's why people say, well, what are you doing? We're building an army. Why? Because there's no point assaulting Normandy with six people, as I said earlier. We need to build an army. But have a look at the policies. Have a look at what our plans are. Have a look at the people. We have no politicians, politicians in our organisation. I won't speak for others, but we have no former politicians because they're part of the problem. I get calls all the time. Hey, I've been in politics for 30 years. You need to know what I know. And I say, mate, if you've been in politics for 30 years, you are the problem. Go away. <laughs> I want farmers. I want chemists. I want cab drivers. I want people with deep roots in the community. Secondly, in our party, we have requirements. This is like the special ops of political parties. Not everybody gets in. We, we require a working with children's check to make sure the pedophiles aren't in. And guess what? The Liberal Nationals came to me and said, we love what you're doing. I'd love to work with you, but can you get rid of the requirement for a working with children's check? Now, why would a political party... <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> Who wants to stop working with children's checks? Pedophiles! So if you want to vote for the four majors, you're voting for pedophiles, you're voting for, you're, you're voting, you're, you're voting for more of the same. You know what, you, what the Australian people have to do? It's time to wake up. It's time to grow up. It's time to realize that you have to save yourself because nobody else is going to do it. Now, we're doing our bit. We really are. This has cost my wife and me and a whole bunch of others because we're not making money on this. And we've got the same problems as the rest of the country, right? My wife's in a wheelchair and she's working inordinate hours every day. We've got kids at home that we're homeschooling. We're trying to pay bills and we're doing this as well. So, you know, the excuse that, oh, I can't do it because I'm a bit busy, come and tell that to my wife and she'll rip you a new one, I can tell you. <laughs> it's up to the Australian people to save themselves. It really is. The time has come. This is a unique time in Australian history. We have never had to fight our for our country on our soil. Mm. And voting for the same people that got us here over decades is not going to help. Now, you've really got to do it. You've got to step up. You've got to become someone you've never become before. You have to do things you've never done before. If you've never protested, it's time. Because if you don't stand up, your kids and your grandkids will be vaccinated, they'll die, and they will be infertile. These are the fact. These are the results we know from overseas that the mainstream media will not tell you. Now, just while we're on it, and this answers your question in a roundabout way, but why should they vote for us? Because the mainstream media is not telling you what's going on. Really quickly, really quickly. They're not covering the world anti-lockdown uh, and vaccine protest around the world. Mainstream media is not telling, not telling anybody about that. Mainstream media is not telling you about the 10,000 doctors and 1,000 lawyers that are preparing a case for Nuremberg 2.0. The mainstream media is not telling you, and neither are the other parties. They're not telling you that the vaccines are killing more people than the, the, uh, than the COVID is. They're not telling you that nursing mothers... Uh, take the vaccine and three days later, their baby is dead. They're not telling you about the hundreds of uh, spontaneous abo um, miscarriages. They're not telling you about the funding source of the CDC, which is a private corporation. And the funding sources are the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, just to name a few. Okay, they're not telling you that. The other parties aren't doing this either, for goodness sake. They're not telling you that they, we have 
seen the package for an AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine, manufacturing date 15 July 2018, six months before COVID apparently launched onto the world stage. They're not telling you that the Red Cross has warned that vaccines wipe out any COVID-19 antibodies. So therefore, if you've had COVID and got antibodies and you get the vaccine, you can't, uh, it kills the antibodies. They didn't tell you the three kids died at that mass vaccination where they tried to get 24,000 Australian uh, New South Wales school children vaccinated. They haven't told you any of that. They haven't told you that Gates donated $4.3 billion to the World Health Organization, which is run by Dr. Dr. Tedros, a former Ethiopian ter communist terrorist. You know, and the list goes on and on and on and on. So why should you vote for us? And I won't speak for the minor parties. They can sell themselves, but I can tell you this. We're the only party that expects people to be cleared of any uh, suspicion of pedophilia. We require Australian citizens only. We require people to get in and do the hard yards. We are empowering our people to make the decisions. We are like no party that has ever existed in Australia. And we're the only future, I can tell you this, because we have no big donors behind us. It's just average people putting their 10, 50, $100 in. Occasionally we get a four-figure donation, very rarely, but we're very grateful for it. This is a genuine slow growth, deep roots party that in time will get the balance of power and then eventually become the government of Australia. Yeah. And we're going to give people their country back and that's why they should vote for us. And you're saying that we're going to have a very Merry Christmas because all we have to do is oh, yeah. look for December <laughs> and things get, will be get starting to Christmas. change by Christmas. then. <laughs> Well, Ricardo, I Correct. really, I hope so. I'm a cockeyed optimist. I don't know if I feel quite that optimistic, but it would be wonderful if that's true. Um, I, I, I'm very glad to be speaking with you. You're someone I've wanted to talk to for a long time. Before we finish up, is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to speak about? Um, I don't think so. I think we let me just quickly check my list. I think we're pretty good. Um, no, we're all good. All it's right. it's in our hands. It's in the Australian people's hands and we can do it. Look, I've spent, I'm 61 years of age. I've spent 24 years in the military. I've spent an equal amount of time in business. Uh, I've started my own company. I used to, you know, I've, I run my own company. I have consulted around the world. I've seen and done stuff. But most of my life has been getting the best out of people. That's exactly what my job is. Leadership, strategy and innovation. And we can do this, folks. We really can. And you, you mentioned about being a cockeyed optimist. You know, on its own, a positive outlook won't let you do anything, but it does. It, but it, it helps you do everything better than a negative outlook. <laughs> now, if, if you're depressed and sad and you need to cry, and I get that, or if you get furious like I do, <laughs> that's fine. Go into your corner, have your spit, have your cry, whatever, put on your party face and get back to work because we've got a country to save. Mm. And the kids are looking at us and saying, what are you going to do, Dad? Well, I'm saving the country. Good on you, Dad. Thanks for that. <laughs> And we're going to need you to do it. It's cool. This is, look, you couldn't ask for a better time to be alive. We will be known as the greatest generation of Australians ever because we are going to save this country against a th global threat that has never been faced before. As my and we're going to sit back in said, our doji. My grandmother would have said, from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> Absolutely. All right.
right, Ricardo. Well, thank you so much. We've had an amazing number of people on the show tonight, and I have not been able to keep up with these comments one little bit. But um, if you feel like coming back and looking through and maybe answering them, if you feel like you have the time, go for it. Otherwise, I will be going through the comments later on. But I want to thank you again so much for coming on to Under the Wire and for sharing your information with us. So take care. Looking forward to Christmas. <laughs> thank you so much and good luck, everybody. Thanks. Good night.